I have felt a very interesting kind of weakness. How many of you know there's a Holy Ghost weakness? There's a feeling you get sometimes when the, uh, when the Spirit of the Lord's around. I feel that this morning. I believe the Lord's really doing something. Um, I am, I'm really going to challenge some of you today. Um, yeah, what's new? So, uh, some of the things I'm going to talk about are revelatory, so you're going to have to try to keep up. And if you don't understand, at least you can begin to consider, um, honestly, some of the things I believe we should um, know as basic Christianity. Uh, it, it, uh, there's so much in the Bible, so many wonderful, wonderful things in the Bible, and I think our generation doesn't pay that much attention to it. So you'll understand here in a minute. But um, this morning we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to share about it in a way I never have before. And I'm going to make some points um, I've never really heard other people make, although I think they are fairly obvious. And they don't contradict the Nicene Creed or... uh, any of the, fame, the the Apostles' Creed, so don't don't get nervous. But the idea that we know God through our intellect is very faulty. The idea is we know God by the Spirit, and it filters into our intellect. How many of you are on board with me so far? I guess I've lost everybody so far, but I don't think so. Yeah, because God's not a brain. Turn to somebody and say, God's not a brain. God's not a brain. God's a spirit. And so there's a difference in intellect and spirit, although both are important, both both have their place. So, in closing, (laughs) let's read um, Matthew 6, 9 through 15 together. You ready? You want to stand up? Now, I say this a number of times. For those of you who may be new here, reading out loud means something comes out of your mouth that you can actually hear. Yeah, and it's important. You mark your set. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let that sit there just a second. I believe this is not just a prayer you repeat over and over. Jesus actually said, don't pray those kind of prayers. Vain repetition. Um, I grew up Presbyterian. I love Presbyterians. Please do not read more into this than I'm about to say. It gave me a tremendous foundation. But we prayed this prayer 52 times a year, every meeting, and we never saw the kingdom come. We never saw that happen. And I'm going to show you in a minute what should happen when the kingdom comes in our experience. What does that mean? It means you have to understand who you are when you're praying this, and you have to have expectation when you're praying this for it to work. That makes sense? Or you can just pray it and nothing happens, and if that makes you feel good, that's okay too. But there's more to it than that. So then Jesus makes a little side note in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? 
So a couple of questions I want to try to answer today. What should we expect when we experience the kingdom of God? What conditions must we meet to experience the kingdom of God? Those are great questions, right? Let me read those again. What should we expect? How many of you aware the kingdom of God is in our midst right now? And that it's also coming. Do you understand there's a dynamic there? But we're not talking about the kingdom of God, i.e. heaven, when we die. We're talking because Jesus wasn't really asking us to pray that. He wouldn't ask us to pray that we go to heaven when we die, although we want that. That wasn't the purpose of his prayer. The purpose of his prayer was heaven has resource that we need. And there's a way to access heaven's resource and release those resources here. Everybody understand that? So he teaches this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what should we expect when we experience the kingdom of God? What conditions must we meet to experience the kingdom of God? And I'm going to look at that first question now through different Bible verses. Matthew 6.33. Let's read that together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You see that promise? Let's read but seek again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What should begin to happen when the kingdom of God manifests or we experience the kingdom of God? We should have access to and receive all these things or everything we need. Everybody with me? That's what we're praying. We're not praying, Lord, help me suffer more. You don't need to pray that. You can do that on your own. No, but we're saying, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, what should we expect when we experience the kingdom of God? Luke 10, 9, let's read that. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. What comes with the kingdom? Healing. Heal the sick. And if they don't understand what happens, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, I know I've got more to read there, but it was attack, I made a little error, so let's just go over here. Okay, Luke eleven let Let's read that. Everybody loves demons getting cast out of you, right? But if I cast out demons with the finger of God... What should we expect when the kingdom comes in our midst? God will deliver us from evil things. How many of you have some evil things you'd like to be delivered from? <laughs> That's a gr- Listen, I appreciate people who raise their hand to that question more than any other question I've ever had. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's right. That's right. So we'll go on to another verse. Romans fourteen seventeen four. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what that's talking about, it's the kingdom of God should be a new culture of goodness. That's what the church ought to be. A church ought to be a new culture of all of us pressing in, all of us praying this prayer, all of us understanding what should be happening, and all of us beginning to access all of these things. Righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. I've had people tell me God never promised to make us happy. 
that is just stupid. That's dumb. I don't want a God that makes you miserable. I can do that all on my own. I don't need any help. Now, sometimes you're heavy. Sometimes you have problems. Sometimes, you know, but basically... God's kingdom is a kingdom of joy. He wants you hilariously intoxicated with joy. He wants you so happy that stuff happens to you that's awful and you don't even know it. There should have been like a really profound amen, but uh, that really is what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He, he's not going to get us out of trouble. He just doesn't want the trouble to be in our hearts. Yeah, we should be able to just go through stuff and be happy about it. I don't mean about it, but in it at least. Because, you know, life can be hard, and I'm not negating that. But I've had people disagree with God before, and I don't agree with people that disagree with God. And God says this is what his kingdom is like. It's the kingdom of righteousness. That means you're doing the right thing. It's a kingdom of peace, and it's a kingdom of of joy. And 1 Corinthians 4.20, what does that say? For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Now, one of the notes I had on Matthew uh, 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you won't get either. You won't get either. See, that that's a real lesson. If you go after things more than you go after God, even when you get the thing, you didn't get what you wanted internally because then you're going to want another thing. So that means you didn't get the thing you're after. I'm nodding my head because I know this is true. I have a new watch. It's an Apple watch. I didn't need it. I got it anyway. It satisfied me momentarily. It won't for long. Right? That's the way all these things work. The trouble is, it didn't cost that much. It wasn't like a $40,000 car got tired up, praise the Lord. But no, no. But when you seek first the kingdom, even the things you need, you get in a way that makes your life wonderful. You know what I'm saying? You begin to see God move on your behalf. That's always such a wonderful thing. So, Luke 10, 9, heal and say, Luke eleven twenty, deliverance from evil things, Romans 14, 17, righteousness, peace, and joy, 1 Corinthians 4, 20, power. Now, that's a brief synopsis of, of what should come when the kingdom comes. And now, what, what I'm saying is, this is why we're supposed to pray the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. These are the outcomes we're expecting. Anybody in here need any of these outcomes? Okay. Keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. Keep them there. Keep them there. Hold them. It's coming. Now, how many of you have prayed this prayer this week for those needs? Lower your hands if you haven't. Lower your hands if you haven't. Lower your hands if you haven't. Well, they're like eight hands up. No wonder all of us don't have all these things. Is that a mystery? But we need to see some things too. Here's the wonderful thing. I needed to raise my hand and then lower it too. I'm in the same boat with you guys. I'm one step ahead of most of you. But that would be about it. Maybe not some of you. But what can we expect when the kingdom comes? Everything we need. Healing. Deliverance from evil, righteousness, peace, joy, and power. Jesus preached the gospel of salvation. Uh Uh-uh. He preached the gospel of the kingdom, which involves salvation. But it's like C.S. Lewis says, if you aim for this, if you aim for that, you get that and this. If you aim for this, you don't even get it. You've got to have a vision 
for the supernatural experience with God called the kingdom. You need to develop a mentality of that's what you're after. Good, Robin. Power. Do you know what the word power means? It's dunamis. Do you know what the word dunamis means? It literally means a miracle. You should receive a miracle when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Now, here's one thing I could say. Do you see how far beneath the norm of Jesus that we're living? Yes, no. Yes, yes. And that's a wonderful thing because if your life is pretty good, it could be much, much better. And if your life is awful, it could be much, much better. Yes, I think that's really good. Now, um, how, how do we access, what are the conditions? What are the conditions? Now, this is what I began to see recently. Let, let me point this out. And, and I've read a lot of commentaries, and the, I've, I've, I've got 121 commentaries on one Bible program, and I didn't read all of them, but when, when the, I was reading about the Lord's Prayer, they, they said it was the family prayer because it was an hour prayer. And it was this and it was that. But let me tell you what I believe the Lord's Prayer really is And if we can hear this, and if it will land in our hearts, it will become a much more effective tool for us in life to excel. So they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. What what was the first word he, he gave? Our. Say our Father. Our Father. Okay, let's emphasize our. Let's say it again. I I know this is sort of elementary, but it's not. It's profound. Our Father. Let's say I'm one of the disciples. There were 13 Robin from Due West. And I say, Jesus, teach, teach me how to pray. So Jesus says, Robin... Here's how we pray. You and I, our, our Father. What do you mean? Jesus wants us to agree with him. What He wants us to agree with him. Me and Jesus are praying. Jesus says, hey, we're going to pray a prayer of agreement. Let's pray this together. Our Father. Now, here's the significance of that. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, what will happen? It will be done for them. What if Jesus invited you into an agreement and the basis of the agreement, if you simply agreed and believed, you would have whatever it was you were praying for? Would that be novel? Would that be new? No. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer of agreement whose stipulations tell you this. If two of you agree is touching anything on earth that they ask, Jesus said in Matthew 18, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So Jesus has promised us we can access the riches and benefits of the kingdom of God, but we must agree with him to see those things in the invisible realm to manifest in our tangible day-to-day world. Now, we can't dumb this down. We can't say, well... I prayed, I believed, I agreed, nothing happened. Well, you got to be wrong somewhere because you're disagreeing with Jesus. I think you have to go there. You can't make God the problem and exceed. Everybody with me? You can't make God the problem. I had a guy come to me one time. He said, God lied to me. I said, really? 
I said, don't bring that stuff around here. If God told me something and he didn't do it, he didn't tell me, that's me imagining something. Can you not understand? That's what We have to be the problem, not God. Here's the problem. God doesn't change. Who has to change? We have to adjust to God. So, Jesus said this in Matthew 19. Here's what we talk about studying the book of Matthew. With men, this is impossible. With God, who can say the rest? All things are possible. All things are possible. I mean, look at, look at something in your life that's not working. Guess what? God really does have a solution. You have impossibilities in your life. God has an answer. With God, all things are possible. Sometimes we're not with him in things, though. You know what I'm talking about? We want him to be with us. And he is with us, but there's a time in your life where, how many of you have done this? How many of you have come up with a brilliant scheme and asked God to come join in with you and get this thing done? How many of you have done that and it didn't work? Yeah, yeah, because as good as he is, he, he won't always bless all our ideas. Here's what we need, though. We need to find out what he wants to do and go do that with him. That's guaranteed. I've told people before, you know, what was it now? Eight years ago, the Lord said, uh, and I'll, I'll sort of make this make some sense. I, I didn't really have any money. I didn't have any support. And I left a good paying job to go start a church when I was 59 years old. Who does that? Who in their right mind does that? Who? Who would do something that would, me, me. Because, and somebody said, ooh, that took courage. No. It did not take courage. If God basically said, jump in that mud puddle, I would come out with a Rolex. Even when it looks bad, when you do what he wants you to, if you'll stick with it, it will work. That's really true. Just because it's not working now doesn't mean it won't. We were eight years before, we were, we were almost seven years before we had this building. We were meeting in a movie theater, uh, that balloon dancers were dancing and popping balloons the night before and rocking, you know, it was nasty, smelly. Then we got a building across the street and we could start doing something for the kids and that really helped. But God asked me to do it. How many of you here cause God wants you here? Don't raise your hand. I believe that. But see, that's, that's important. Are, are you where you're supposed to be? Are you under the spout where the glory comes out? If you want to be redneck Pentecostal. Listen, I've started churches I didn't want to go to. This is not one of them. And if this becomes one, I'm going to be the first one out the door. I'm going to leave it with somebody. No, I'm just messing with you. But no, no. Gosh, if you've been saved 50 years and you don't know some of this stuff, how stupid could I be? No, get on with God. Okay, I beat that up. Luke 1, 37, for with God nothing will be impossible. Luke 18, 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Let me tell you this. You can say the Lord's Prayer a thousand times and you won't get a thing. If that's all you're doing is a religious exercise. But when you begin to understand that you and Jesus have found grounds of agreement, your life should be, to, should take on a different tenor. You should begin to see things move in your life that were immovable. Because nothing can get in God's way when you're in agreement and he's ready to do it. Nothing. Nothing. Now, come on. Behave. Oops. Start all over. Not quite ready for prime time. Um, but there's another part of this. 
What's the second part? Father. Our Father. Prayer of agreement, our. What's the Father part? Well, here's the part where I want you to walk through this with me. The original priesthood in Israel was the Levitical priesthood. How many of you are aware of that? And Levitical comes from the term Levite. Levite comes from the term Levi. And Levi was Aaron, the original priest family. So to be a priest in Israel under the old covenant, what was the primary requirement? Who your daddy was. Say who your father was, who your father was. If your father was Judah, you couldn't be in Levitical priesthood. Now, I'm not going to get into all this, but I can show you four examples of people who acted like priests and it got them killed. So it's not like you could weasel your way in. But here's the interesting thing. If priesthood is according to family, and if Jesus has given us this unique prayer, which is really a model more than something to memorize. Everybody with me? Do you understand that? This is more of a model. There are categories of things to pray into here, not just something you memorize and spout. But you can't get into all that because you can't get into all this in one session. But priesthood is according to Family origin. So what does Jesus call us? When he asks us to pray, how does he phrase it? Our. So whose father is it? Jesus didn't say, when you pray, pray to my father, it'll work. No, what did he say? Pray our father. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus wasn't from the Levitical priesthood... How did he become our high priest? If you know the answer and you know that's rhetorical, but you still know the answer, just raise your hand if you know how that happened. I got maybe three people. Here's how it happened. He was born from a higher order of family. He's from the tribe of Judah. God was his father. Now, what's more important, if Aaron's your dad or if God's your dad? Who would have more clout, Aaron or a son of God? So Jesus was not born from the Levites. He was born from the tribe of Judah. But he was a priest of a higher order from a family of much greater authority, he was in a very unique way born of God, the Virgin Mary, the Holy Ghost. But when you read the Bible in the Gospel of John, we too, when we're born again, we were born of what? Incorruptible seed by the Word of God And that is when, in a very particular way, God becomes our Father. What kind of priest was Jesus? Well, interesting thing is he showed up in the Old Testament in Genesis 14. He showed up as Melchizedek. Now, this is arguable. Some people believe Melchizedek was Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Other people believe he was a type of Jesus. So it was at least a type of Jesus. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tithe of all that he had. And then in the book of Hebrews, it repeats this. Story with more information. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated, 
Melchizedek translated, king of righteousness. Well, who do you think the king of righteousness would be? Jesus. And also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. And then it describes him. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but he was made like the Son of God and remains a priest continually. And so what you have here, you have the description of a brand new priesthood. But this priesthood is different from the Levitical priesthood. It's a priesthood of a higher order with different rules and different regulations and increased authority. Somebody say authority. Authority. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a what? Royal what? Priesthood. What does royal mean? You're in a family whose patriarch is a king. But you're also a priesthood. What do priests do? They pray. They minister to people. So here's who you are. You pray and you minister to people, but you're royal, so you have authority to change situations, change lives, release the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And so when you pray the Lord's Prayer, and when you say, Our Father, you're saying this, As a royal priest, I am in agreement with the King of Heaven who has authorized me to proclaim into the thirst realm, Our Father who art in Heaven, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom Come, it's not an appeal, ladies and gentlemen. It's a proclamation of a priest with authority who's been born in the right family, who is much higher than a Levite, who offers these pitiful sacrifices day after day that has no influence. That's what you do when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, is that a little bit wild? A little bit. What am I saying? When we pray in agreement with Jesus, we pray as priests with authority as kings. You know, the problem, the problem we have is people get the authority message and they don't know who they are. And so they start acting like jerks. You know what I'm saying? They push themselves around, they brag, they boast. And within about six weeks, everything they said they were going to do falls apart. But see, God has called us to serve as kings. To have the heart of a servant. Actually, this is a great idea. You know when it says, um, for the meek shall inherit the earth? You know one of the definitions of meek? Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. You know that? What, was he backward? No. Was he humble? Well, yeah, but here's here's the definition of meek. Having a weapon you you refuse to unsheath. That's what true meekness is. True meekness is not you're a worm. True meekness is you're a prince. You're a king. You're a princess. You're royalty. But you're so well established in who God is as your father, you don't have to prove anything to anyone. You can listen to other people's opinions. You can let people speak into your life. You can realize you're wrong about this, but you're right about that. That's what it is. But you have authority. Let me say this. When you speak knowing whose you are, devil's tremble. They do. They really do. I can remember a number of years ago, a young lady was, was, well, she was just demonized. I don't know how nice to put it. She was rolling around on the floor and pulling hunks of her hair out. And 
there were people trying to help her and they couldn't and they were scared they came and got me. And I thought, oh, great. So I went in the room and I saw this young girl. I felt so bad for her. And I said, um, well, she said in a strange voice, I know who you are. And I said, you better believe you know who I am. I'm the one who comes in the name of Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. And I said, and I don't want you talking anymore, and I wasn't talking to that little girl. And then I, I began to talk to her a little bit. turned out she'd been abused sexually. She had hatred in her heart for this guy. I helped her walk through that. She got, she, she, she forgave him. That thing broke. It's gone. Talked to her years later, still gone. And she doesn't even remember the hair pulling part. It's really bizarre. But see, we really do have authority. We, we really can help people. We really can call down from the heavenly realm in agreement with Jesus, our resources, our aid, our help. Men ought always to pray and not to faint, Jesus said. Now, here's a catch. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive, also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, here's my theory about that. I think you can be saved and forgiven and you still have issues with God over unforgiveness. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't think this means to get to heaven, you have got to have perfectly forgiven every situation ever. I think it has to do with how how well we live life and how well we access what God has for us. Are you listening? And so if you have unforgiveness or bitterness issues, it can restrict the flow of God into your life. How many of you can handle that? It, re- it restricts it. Now, when we read this, I believe there are two prerequisites for accessing the realm of heavens. And one of them is an authoritative proclamation. What do I mean by that? Your kingdom come. How many of you realize that's not an appeal? Do you know what an appeal is? An appeal is when you ask for something. Do you realize that we're not asking for something here? We're agreeing with Jesus about what he's already said he wants to come, his kingdom. (coughs) Excuse me. And the second condition is having forgiven people. When you look at these benefits... Righteousness, that list of them. Everything we need, healing, deliverance from evil, righteousness, peace, and joy and power. I was actually thinking, what could keep us from accessing everything God has for us? How can I help the church navigate that kind of situation? Because I know the truth is all of us need more than what we have. Isn't that true? We all have areas. It's true. I do. You do. We all do. Well, I think two things have to happen. You have to understand when you pray who you are. And you have to be in a position to fully experience everything God has by forgiving people. You with me? Those are the two prerequisites. Those two things. You fulfill those two things. Your life changes. Your life improves. Your life gets better. According to who? Me? No, I got this. I got this from Jesus. Forgiveness is so important. One of the things that um, struck me 10 years ago, I guess it was a good, good, good number of years ago, I thought the Bible tells us we should forgive, right? Should we forgive? Yes. What happens if we don't forgive? Well, we're in trouble with God, right? It even says one place will turn us over to tormentors. How many of you like that idea? 
And so I recognized we should. I recognized God wanted us to. <coughs> and I recognized our life, our lives will be worse if we don't. But I thought, but Lord, you never showed, you, you never told us how to, how to forgive. How many of you like to have a key about how to forgive? How do you do it? And I've heard people, well, you make a choice. Of course you make a choice. What if you make a choice and it still doesn't work? What if you make a choice and you're still bitter? Actually, a little boy was learning the Lord's Prayer, and his teacher called him up and said, want you to repeat it. And he, he got to that part about forgive us our debts. And he, but some people say trespasses. So he said, <clears throat> forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. <laughs> and see, you pretty much know you've forgiven somebody when you quit telling people the terrible things they've done to you. Forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. But I've had trouble forgiving people before. I, I mean, I've been a pastor for a long time. I've been a Christian a long time. And so I would ask the Lord, how does this work? And he showed me when he was on the cross, he said a very interesting thing. As he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Say that with me, Father. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. But they did know what they were doing. And they had wrong motives doing it. Well, that's what we, that's what we say, right? That's what we, but see, Jesus didn't look at life that way. Jesus looked at life this way. Not as far as what other people were responsible to do. But as far as how he looked at life, he looked at life this way. No matter what happens to me by anyone's means or motive, I consider it an accident. Because they don't know what they're doing. If somebody runs over your foot, say you're, <laughs> say you're in the grocery store and you want a head of lettuce. And there's only one left and there are three of you after it. And so in the attempt to buy lettuce, somebody breaks your toe on your right foot. They run over you with their golf cart. No, they, you know, but, you know, it's an accident and you don't harbor bitterness. Just, you know, you just, you ran into people and something happened, right? But what if the person intended to run over your foot and broke your toe? What would you feel? Well, you'd be mad at them, right? Why? Why? Isn't that a great question? Or, or you can say this. A brick falls off a wall, lands on your foot, breaks your toe. Are you bitter at that brick? Or somebody takes a hammer and breaks your toe on purpose. Are you bitter at them? What's the difference? At the end of the day, there's an object and there is your toe. Now, you think this is foolish, but this is liberating. At the end of the day, bitterness resides in offended people's hearts because they judge the intent and the motivation of those people who have harmed them. When Jesus says, I don't know, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Is this registering with anybody? Is this... Is this when you stop, why would you be in trouble with God for judging a person's motive? Let me ask you this. Do you know your motives? Let me ask this. How many of you, do you know your motives? Please answer me. Do you know your motives? All the time for everything you've ever done. Oh, why do you think you know theirs? And you're around yourself all the time. So if you will agree with Jesus and release your judgment of the offending party's motives, bitter, I will guarantee you this, 
Bitterness will have nowhere to lodge and you will experience the reality of forgiveness that Jesus is promising us. Doesn't let them off the hook. But when you quit judging their motive, you take them out of the debtor category and put them into the forgiven category. How many of you want to do that this morning? How many of you want to take people out of the debtor category and put them in the forgiven file? Raise your, come on, talk to me. I'm not playing. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm barking a little bit because this is important. This could change your life. There are people that don't forgive and their life tanks. How many of you want to take people out of the offending party, put them in the forgiven file? Okay, let's pray this way. This is deep, this is profound. Lord, I forgive them. Once is good, twice is better. Lord, I forgive them. Man, that's feeling better. Lord, I forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, Lord. And let me ask you this. What if you committed one sin in your life but that sent sent you to hell. Would you would you know what you were doing? Would you do it? No. But since you didn't know what you were doing, we're all guilty. We've all fallen short. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray the Lord's prayer again, but we're going to pray it from a different standpoint. We're going to pray it from people who have forgiven. And for people who know who they're agreeing with and what their authority is. So, whatever you need this morning, when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's what we're releasing. How many of you with me? Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Wave at me if you're a forgiving person this morning. You've done some forgiving this morning. Wave at me. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that, doesn't, come on, let's wave some more. I'm happy. Let's wave. Let's. We forgave, Lord. We're so happy. We're healed now. Stuff is happening. Good for us. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. Money's coming in. Sicknesses are fleeing. Benefits and blessings, opportunities are flowing in my direction, our direction. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. We're just going to slow down and let it catch up now. Jump us, jump us, goodness, jump us, mercy. Peace, oh, harabachi also. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's here. We have a new culture. We have a kingdom expression. Healing is in our midst. Everything we need is at our disposal. And so we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Woo. Woo. We might need to say that again. What we're talking about is everything we thought we needed. We need, that didn't make sense. What we're talking about is everything we identified as a need will come when we say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me tell you what give us this day our daily bread means. You won't believe this, but I have this by high authority. (laughs) Probably don't, but day and daily are two completely different words. You know, they don't know what daily means. Some have said, give us this day tomorrow's bread. That's as close as they can get to that word. They find it nowhere else in the scripture. They find it nowhere else in society. They made it up. Here's what I think they're saying. Give us today tomorrow's 
bread. What are they saying? Lord, by prophetic revelation, show us today and let us receive impartations today for whatever is coming. That's what I want you to hear when we say this. And then we're going to pray this. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's do the trash passing. And forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those we pass trash against. Now, the Bible tells us God does not lead us into temptation. So we're going to say instead, and keep us from falling into temptation. And keep us from falling into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Hey, didn't Alec and Hannah do a good job this morning? Wasn't that cool? Awesome, awesome. All right, one, one last piece of business, and then we'll have ministry teams and go home. You can be seated. I'm going to tell this whole story, and it's going to take a few minutes but I think it's worth it. We're going to receive an offering this morning for James Scott in the Exchange Church. And I want to explain to you how this happened. I've done this once, but I want to do it again. A man named Rick Eldridge and I ran into a fellow who's, who's black, and his father was killed in Vietnam. He did three tours of duty, served his country. And the reason he was actually killed by, it wasn't friendly fire, he was killed by his own troops because they were putting Confederate flags on his Jeep and he was not fighting under the Confederate flag, he was fighting under the flag of the United States of America and it was very offensive to him, so he took took it up with his superiors and they dropped a grenade on him, killed him. When they killed him, the fellow I'm, Rick Eldridge and I met was one of seven children whose mother now had to raise these kids without the aid of their, really, he, he turned out he was, um, he was a war hero in the Vietnam War. And she had a nervous breakdown and they grew up, you can imagine how they grew up. And so, I could not get this guy off my mind because of his bitterness, the pain, and everything he had suffered. What happened to his mom, how his kids, brothers and sisters, as they grew up. And I couldn't quit thinking about this guy. So I thought, well, you know, when it comes to racism, it's it's not... What I have done to help, it's what I don't do that helps. In other words, I don't use the N-word and I don't disparage people of, uh, black people or people of other, other races or tell those jokes or I don't, I, I never heard the N-word even used in my family growing up. But then I thought, well, that's what I haven't done, but what have I done? What have I done? to reconcile races or to help that situation. And I remember James Scott's church, which is literally, we look at the back of his church across our parking lot. And we had tried to help him in the past because he's got a great feeding ministry, and his feeding ministry feeds people all over town, but he doesn't have his own facility. And he has a call to pastor. So he wanted his own church and his own facility so he could do more things for the community. So he got in this building over there and he got stuck and he didn't have enough money to finish the building. Well, most of you are sitting in this facility and we didn't have enough money to do it. Other people gave the money. Do you know what I'm saying? They gave the money. We didn't have $300,000 to fix this building. But people wanted us to succeed. They sowed into us. People that won't ever come here. And so 
I thought, well, maybe I can call James Scott and find out what it's going to take for him to finish his building. So I called him. He said $60,000. So I thought, I bet we could, my church could raise $30,000. Now I need to find somebody else to raise $30,000. So I called a guy on the phone. He said, yeah, I want in. I don't know for how much, but I want in. And then I told Rick Eldridge what I was thinking, and Rick said, yeah, I want in. And so I talked to the board, our board of directors basically, and I said, this is what I want us to do. I want us to take $15,000 out of our bank account, and I want us to receive offerings and try to match that amount of money and give him $30,000. And so it was right around Christmas, so we didn't do it right around Christmas. One, one thing I forgot, he, he's going to have after-school programs for inner-city kids all summer long. Uh, he's going to have programs for kids. Inner-city kids help them. He was telling me some inner-city kids get put in jail because they're stealing to eat. Stealing to eat. Now, I don't, I don't have the, I, I don't, my calling is not to minister to inner-city kids. That's just not on my we don't have, that's not my job description, but it's his. So, we, we have already received, in addition to our 15, 8,000 last year. People wanted to give in last year. But I want us to receive an offering this morning. Hopefully we get 7,000. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But whatever comes in, we're going to give to James. And here's what we have been able to do. Rick Eldridge and I and another gentleman have been able to raise and give him so that his work can continue. Fifteen and fifteen is thirty thousand and eight is thirty eight thousand and two is forty thousand and seventy five. We have given him forty seven thousand five hundred dollars so that so that he can do things for the community that we're not necessarily called to. Now, I'm emotional about it, but I'll tell you why. This has been the best thing I may have ever done in my whole life. Now, I'm saying all that. If if you don't give in the offering, that's okay. Because the benefit in giving something is that you want to do it. You do it with a, I believe this, if you just give out of bad motives, I don't believe the blessing's the same. I mean, you know, there's a blessing if you give, however you give. But there's something that happens in the heavens. Generosity can break the heavens open wide. But there's something that happens in the heavens when we we go, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this. So here's what we're going to do. Our ushers are going to come, and we're not going to make a big production out of this. But if you want an envelope, if you raise your hand, if if you want uh, to pay, uh, use a check, make the check out to QCC, and you can put on there Next Door Church, Exchange Church, or Special Offering. You can give online. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. And here's what we'll do. Why don't we, not to make a big production, why don't we put those buckets back there on the, um, sound, on the sound table? And you can just go by there and drop your offering in. Did that work? Or you can put one up here for people that are close if you want to do that. Put one at the coffee table too. That'll work. So let's let's pray together. How many of you want to help this guy? Even if you don't have any money, maybe you can go over there and help with this ministry. Who knows? But let's do this. Father, thank you so much. Mitch, come on up. Thank you so much, Father, for this church and people that love you. And we ask that you would take what we give today and make it go a long, long way towards three things, racial reconciliation, a poverty mentality of not trusting you for resource, 
and that religious political spirit where we compete with churches instead of try to help them. Yeah, this is a warfare offering to break racial, to release racial harmony, to release us into a new realm of generosity, and to declare there's one church, there's one body, and we're not doing anything to harm other churches. We want them helped and blessed, even if they're next door to us. So for the exchange church this morning, Father, bless them. Help them in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Okay, Mitch is going to close out this session for us. Come on, Mitch.